Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn with me to Mark? We'll figure what else the Lord has for us today. This is exciting, isn't it? I hope you caught something that just happened here in our midst in the family room. We had a sister who chose to be obedient and gave voice to what God was speaking on her heart. I shared with a group of friends last night, or I asked a question, I guess, have you ever felt stupid about something that you said, or have you ever felt insecure about something that you're going to say, and they left me hang there for a minute, and I said, come on, it's somebody besides me. But when we obey God and we give glory to Him, not glory to ourselves, attention to Him, not attention to ourselves, He redeems that and uses that and touches people, and that's what's been happening today. I want to encourage you to continue to mind God. Speak for Him whenever He tells you, in this room and for sure outside of this room. This morning, uh, I want to share with you a message entitled, Whatever It Takes. There's temptation all around us to give up. I'm not going to take the time this morning to have you ask your neighbor, but I want you to think as if your neighbor was going to ask you, when was the last time you were tempted to give up? It may be in some kind of physical endurance challenge. It may be in in just a long haul of a relationship. It may have been some hurt or pain or a thousand other categories. There's all kinds of reasons that we can think about when we've wanted to give up. But I want to share a series of messages with us over the next couple of weeks, challenging us to imagine what it would be if we would allow God to make us a church that is committed not to just giving up, but committed to doing whatever it takes to help people see Jesus. I'm going to read a couple of words up here on the screen, and I want you to read them in your mind silently as I read them out loud. And this declaration is one that we're going to look at over the next number of weeks. Now, for those of you who fold your arms and say, I'm not about to say what you tell me to say, that's okay, I'm not going to force you, I'm not going to paint it on the wall, it's not going to be something you have to memorize every day before you walk into the worship center or something like that, but I want us to catch something that could be very powerful if we would imagine together what would happen if we would be a church committed to doing whatever it takes. What we're going to share together the next couple of weeks goes something like this. I am part of a church committed to doing whatever it takes. I will disciple someone and allow someone to disciple me. I will be generous and faithful in giving to others. I will share Christ through my words and actions. To this end, my mind is set. My heart is humble. My hands are ready. For I am part of a church committed to doing whatever it takes. This phrase, whatever it takes, is a good way to capture what I believe God is leading us to as a church together. It's my prayer that it won't just be something that we recite over the next couple of weeks, but it's my prayer that it will become our heartbeat together. This morning, as we kick off this series, I'm going to talk about some general principles of what it means to to live a commitment, whatever it takes. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll dive into some specifics of how we can live this out, some categories of discipleship and giving our life away to others and sharing Christ with our words and actions. This morning, I want to begin by reading an account of five young men who certainly understood what it meant to do whatever it takes. We find this in Mark chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, 
I'll be reading the first 12 verses. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I love this part. <laughs> this, is, this is what makes Scripture exciting to me. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. You know, when Jesus is around, he'll call you out, not just on what you do and what you say. He'll call you out on what you're thinking. They not said this out loud, but Jesus calls them out. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This passage is one that's familiar to us, and if you have been in a church setting of any length of time at all, most likely you've heard a number of sermons on this passage. It's a, it's a fun passage to preach from. There's lots of points of view that we can see and look at and, and lots of applications that can come from a teaching like this, from a, a passage like this. And this morning I want us not to uh, just allow it to go in one ear and out the other. As I, I've seen that. I've heard that. Uh, I've taught on that. I, I've understood that before. But let's ask God to give us a fresh New piece of manna from his word. Mark doesn't tell us a whole lot about this paralytic man in the passage. We don't really know for sure what kind of medical treatment he had sought. It would be easy to think that he would have at least gone to the doctors of his day and tried to find some kind of solution to his problem. Perhaps like the man in John chapter 5, he had gone to one of the pools that offered healing, but none of the conventional forms of healing had done any good for this guy. So when these men heard that Jesus was in town, and they had not seen him heal anybody, but they heard stories about him healing, they did whatever it took to get this friend to Jesus. They could have been so easily distracted, it would have been risky for them to take this challenge. They didn't know who Jesus was personally. They hadn't seen him do anything. They were going to take the risk, even if they would be rejected, to do whatever they could to get their friend to Jesus. This morning, I want us to catch that a whatever-it-takes commitment requires some form of risk. If you're a play-it-safe person that wants to stay comfortable and keep everything in your lane and never have anything get outside of what you have hoped things would stay contained in, you're not going to be a whatever-it-takes kind of person. There's an element of risk when you make a commitment beyond your own comfort. These guys had definitely moved into that category. 
whatever it takes commitment is centered on something that goes against the conventional wisdom of our time. When we begin to live like a people who say, I will do whatever it takes to get somebody to Jesus, there will be ways of doing things. The world says, this is how you operate. This is what you do. This is what you should expect. This is how you should talk to people. And and when we begin to do something different than the conventional, the norm, the tradition, the way it's always been done, there will be some questions. But a whatever-it-takes attitude says, despite that convention, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get somebody to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The people who are not in with what God is doing will call it foolishness. But a whatever-it-takes attitude says, I will go anyway. This morning... I want to ask you, are you willing to have a whatever-it-takes commitment that risks everything on the promise that Jesus really is who he said he is? It's mornings like today when we sing songs, and it's not just a good lyric, it's all throughout Scripture. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. If our God is for us, who then can be against us? I'm not trying to talk you into being a personality other than who God created you to be. But this just doesn't cut it for me. I, I just don't understand it. Now, I'm not making a case for emotionalism, but I'm trying to say, have you met our God that is greater, that is stronger? I don't care if this means excitement for you, then just do this. That's fine. But, but allow your body to get in on what your heart has experienced. Or could it be that there's been a distance for so long that your soul does not even celebrate the truth of His sovereignty? Have we slipped back into the place of trying to be sovereign of our own life? There's no need for a God who is greater. There's no need for a God who is stronger. There's no need to imagine somebody who would come against us because we already have that figured out. I've already played chess and I've mapped out all the moves that I'm going to make at work, all the moves that I would make at school, all the moves I could make in my social strata, and that I could just kind of do it on my own. But for those who have seen Jesus, those who have experienced an encounter with God, say, He is greater. And I want to do whatever it takes to get as close to that God as I can and to help others to do the same. A commitment to doing whatever it takes cannot be there if these things happen. A commitment to doing whatever it takes cannot be these things. Jot this down. They cannot be controlled by convention. As I said, there will be times when the norm, the pattern of what used to work, what used to take place, has to be expunged to do whatever we can to get to Jesus. That's what these four guys did for their friend. Another is the circumstances around them. They didn't look too promising for these guys. They finally got to where Jesus was, and the crowd was so thick, there was no room in that house where he was teaching. It was impossible for one of them to get in, let alone the four guys carrying the one friend. But they didn't let the circumstances block them from doing what they set out to do. They weren't deterred by the seemingly closed doors. They found another way to get to Jesus. As Christians, we talk a lot about how 
God sometimes leads us and opens a door and closes a door. But what strikes me about this passage and many others throughout Scripture, when circumstances seem to close a door, these guys did whatever it would take to go around the circumstances to get to Jesus. I'm not saying that God never leads us by closing and opening doors through circumstances. God is God and he can do whatever he wants to. But it's important to note that Satan himself can use circumstances to try to discourage you, to try to get you to feel defeated, to try to get you to think that a door is closed, that there is no option, that there is no hope, that there is no way out. And God says, is there anybody who have an attitude to say, I will do whatever it takes to get to the feet of Jesus? These guys did, and to have that attitude of whatever it takes, they could not be controlled by convention, and they also could not be controlled or hemmed in by circumstances. At least on one occasion, these five guys had this attitude of whatever it takes commitment. It was an attitude that took them past convention, past their circumstances, and past what was convenient for them. When they saw the crowds that blocked the doorway, they decided there had to be another way. Now, the text doesn't tell us exactly, but like many of the houses of that time, it was likely that this house had steps that were going up to the roof, or at least a ladder going to the roof. Can you imagine how hard it was to carry this friend on a mat-like stretcher contraption all the way up to the roof? And once they got there, they had to dig a hole in the roof to lower their friend down. It doesn't tell us exactly what type of roofing material was there. Uh, It would be common for there to be tile and maybe even more likely for there to be sticks and different soils mashed together. And there was literally digging, the scripture tells us, in that roof to make a hole to lower their friend down. It was anything but convenient. How many times in our life have we failed to do whatever it takes at the cost of convenience. It's not convenient for me to get up a little bit early and to spend some time with God in prayer and allow Him to lead me through His Word and in Scripture. It's not convenient for me to carve out an extra hour or hour and a half in my week before service or after service or sometime later in the week to meet with other Christians in a class or a group to allow iron to sharpen iron and, and to do life with one another. That's not convenient. That doesn't just kind of happen. It's not convenient for me to look for relationships with people who don't know God that I may have an opportunity to to share Jesus with them. It's not convenient for me to miss my favorite TV series to be available for somebody who wants to talk. What if I gave them my cell phone number and they actually called me whenever they wanted to? I'm not sure that that's going to be convenient for me. A whatever-it-takes attitude, a whatever-it-takes heart cannot be addicted to convenience. Our world is so addicted to convenience. We have convenience stores and we have drive-through restaurants and drive-through pharmacies. In fact, in Las Vegas, they have drive-through wedding chapels. Heaven forbid that you be uh, inconvenienced to get out of your car on your wedding day. I've even read in one article in Los Angeles, there's even a drive through mortuary. Here's what it says. For the convenience of the time-pressed mourners, the deceased is displayed before a 5 by 7 picture window. Friends and relatives can drive up to the window and pay last respects without even getting out of their car. The owner of this mortuary says, We wanted something for the people who didn't have time to get dressed up. 
all in the name of our convenience. But if I really want to go grow in my relationship with God, I have to be willing to be inconvenienced. It's going to have to happen. I have to sometimes give up things that are good for things that are better that God has for me. Although this addiction to convenience can block a whatever-it-takes heart, criticism can do the same. The scribes, the religious leaders that were so eagerly ready to pounce on Jesus for anything that he did wrong, and he caught them in their thoughts, and Jesus called them out. They weren't the only ones to criticize. Uh, Most likely, the text doesn't say this, but it would be easy to see that as all the people are gathered around in this house, and and debris from the roof begins to trickle down, and and some guy is lowered down on a stretcher, there had to be some comments. There had to be some critical uh, words that were spoken. I mean... Down in front, get out of the way, watch out, get here early, I was here first kind of stuff. And these guys did not allow that to happen. If we are inhibited by this criticism, we can miss what God wants to do in our life. When you look at the life of Jesus, he is constantly faced with criticism over and over. And most of the criticism came from the church, came from religious leaders. Think about all the criticism that Jesus endured. If Jesus would have allowed the critical comments and thoughts of others to distract him from his purpose, we wouldn't be here today. And these five guys, the four friends and and the paralytic, did not allow the criticism of others to block them from what they knew they needed. Matthew 11, 18 through 19 says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. How many times have we allowed the critical thoughts and comments of others to deter us from what God is calling us to do? Maybe you're the only person in your family who is a believer, and the rest of your family, at your expense, begins to make fun of your faith. Maybe it seems like you're the only person in your workplace who will stand up for moral principles and and you won't participate in the kind of conversation that is typical or you won't participate in a business tactic that may get you ahead but may cut corners that you don't feel like are ethical. You may not participate in in a social structure at school or people who you are around who try to build themselves up by putting somebody else down and, and you begin to see that that critical life is not what you want for you. Even in church, we can be distracted by criticism of others. Somebody complains, we want more hymns. Somebody says, we want less hymns. It should be faster. It should be slower. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an opinion, but in our critical thoughts, do we miss what God is calling us or telling us to do? There would be some who would say we should observe communion and participate in the act of communion more often. Some would say it should be a holy special moment. It should be less frequent and make a bigger deal of it when it happens. And and we can begin distracted away from what God is calling us to do. There would be some who would say that the sermon is too long. And there would be miles of people who would line up and say the sermon is too short. Okay, I confess, no one has ever said that to me. I just want to see who's awake and that just kind of felt good to say. But but we can have all kinds of criticism that would come at us, and if we begin to allow this to to get in the way and block what God wants to do for us, we don't have this whatever-it-takes attitude. It's just whatever I'm worth 
or whatever it feels worth giving at the moment cannot be inhibited by criticism. Well, what must this commitment be laced with then? A commitment to doing whatever it takes must have these things. Concern for others. These guys did not take their friend just because it was convenient or because it's what the norm was or because everybody thought it would be popular. They went against all those things. It was concern for others. If they were fixated on themselves, they never would have thought to say, you know what, I don't need a front row seat at Jesus' gathering. I don't need to try to lobby and present my need. I'm going to take my friend. They had concern for others. Genuine concern is willing to become involved without being influenced by the price tag. How many times in, in your life and my life do we, we pause or we stop on our compassion just to calculate, what's this going to cost me? I mean, before I really commit to a friendship with that person or to try to disciple that person or to try to pour into their life, I mean, how much is it going to cost me? Some of us would rather write a big old check than to give any time of our life. And others, it's vice versa. I'd rather give you time, but you're not getting a dime from me. How much am I willing to invest in others? Do I have concern for anybody other than myself? That's what is required for this whatever it takes. Next, the spirit of cooperation. Now, not to make too much of this, the scripture says there's four guys carrying this one man. Well, it could have been three, it could have been two, but apparently these guys felt like one wasn't going to cut it. I mean, if one guy could have carried their friend to Jesus, I would assume that that would have happened. But they cooperated together in a spirit of cooperation, saying we're going to have a a singular goal. We're going to be moving in one direction together. Cooperation was required to have this whatever-it-takes attitude that these guys had. When we come together, it's only the beginning, but when we work together, it can lead to victory. And finally, this last thought is the most important, I think, of what we catch from this story. They had a single hope. They didn't just have a whatever it took attitude or commitment just because they were bored, just because they had a strong work ethic, just because they thought Jesus was was so popular. They were convinced that the greatest need at that time in their life was to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. That he was the only answer for their friend. It wasn't kind of maybe or sort of or I hope it works. He was the answer. Friend, we need to have a conviction, a belief that Jesus is the only answer for some people in our life around us. I want to invite you to imagine with me over the next number of weeks what it would be like if you wouldn't just read statement on the screen with me on Sunday because I asked you to. But what if this became a heartbeat where you would say, I want to be a part of a church that's committed to doing whatever it takes because I am convinced that I need to get closer to Jesus and others around me need to get closer to Jesus. I feel impressed to share this morning. Churches can be so distracted by having hundreds, even thousands of ministries, kind of like we are the church that has the best hole-in-the-roof digging committee. 
We will get a perfect circumference around this circle. We will lower people in greatly. We are going to be the best roof diggers out there. Others will come up with ministries about being great mat carriers. You think you can do it in four? We can do it with two. We've lifted weights. We've gotten all kinds of straps. And we're ready to carry people just two at a time and take them through. And this is all good. But if these ministries, if these actions don't lead to getting anybody closer to Jesus, what is the point? Who would be talking about these four guys if they just took their friend to somebody who had no power? Who would be talking about these four guys who took their friend to somebody who could do nothing for their sin? They were amazed and were amazed that this paralytic got up and walked. But they were more offended by Jesus thinking he could forgive sin. I love to give praise to God when somebody is healed by God's divine power. I am convinced that God has and can and will heal here on earth. Amen? But I wonder why we seem to think it's old hat when somebody is saved from their sins. I may be able to get out of a wheelchair and walk for the 50 years I have left on earth, but what about celebrating when I am set free from sin, death, and the grave for all of eternity? Well, that's just kind of somebody pray to prayer. That is something that nobody has the authority to do but Jesus Christ himself. If I am committed to do whatever it takes, it's got to be with the single hope and passion that people need Jesus. Well, what about the people who they've already prayed the prayer? Are we done? You're saved and just forget it. Is anybody passionate about the problems that are happening in this room, in the rows that you sit? Does anybody believe that Jesus is the answer to that person who is grieving? Does anybody believe that Jesus is the answer to that relationship? Both people know Jesus, but it is askew. It is adrift. It is on the rocks. If there's not a miracle, it's falling apart. Jesus can heal there too. Jesus can grow us into his disciples. Amen? When I am committed to do whatever it takes to help people see Jesus, it changes who I am and the community I'm a part of. I'm not asking you to make a commitment today, but I'm asking you to use your imagination. How could you be part of a church that's committed to do whatever it takes? Imagine with me if you would disciple someone and allow someone to disciple you. I knew it, Pastor. I smelled some kind of campaign coming from headquarters somewhere that someone told you you had to say this. This has nothing to do with any campaign. This has nothing to do with any words that you heard at a convention somewhere. The gospel, I think, says something like, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So everybody who takes a salary from a church organization, you are required to make a disciple. Every other believer gets a free pass. Every Christian is a carrier of the Great Commission. If you've been saved by Jesus Christ, you know the forgiveness of Jesus, you carry the good news, who are you discipling? Who are you letting pour into your life and disciple you? Imagine with me if that wasn't just one piece, but the next is, I would be faithful and generous in giving to others. If I am generous and faithful and giving to others, I knew he'd be talking about money. Friend, this is so far bigger than tithes and offerings. When I begin to see what God has given to me and entrusted to me in resources of every kind, my time, my talent, my treasure, and if I invest that in the kingdom and the people around me, something changes. 
if I can leverage it to help somebody get closer to Jesus, it begins to, begins to get even more exciting. And finally, what if, just imagine, if you would commit to sharing Christ through your words and actions. Are you ready to do whatever it takes? Again, I'm not asking you to make that commitment today. I want you just to begin to start thinking about it. We're going to talk about it the next couple of weeks. But I want to warn you that God often calls for our yes before he reveals the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how. I don't like this. If I was God, I would not do this. But it's a very good thing that I'm not God. Because God is not looking to broker a deal He's not looking to try to get some kind of agreement with us to merge our kingdoms together. He says, hey, when you begin to live as if I'm all you need and all the people around you need the same thing you need, I can do something through you. He wants our yes to be committed to do whatever it takes before he tells us who to talk to, what to say, when, where to go, how to do it. He's looking for a group of people who say, yes, I'm committed to get as close to you as I can, Jesus, and to help others do the same. As we close this morning, it's kind of strange for me to come to the end of a message and not ask you to make a commitment on anything yet. Your commitment is use your imagination. Part of that, I'm going to ask you to read this with me on the screens that we started with. I'm not saying that by you saying these words, you have signed your life to it. I just want you to imagine with me. What if this wasn't something you just said? What if this was the very mantra of your life? What if this was was the tone of our gathering of believers? Read it with me out loud. I am part of a church Committed to doing whatever it takes, I will disciple someone and allow someone to disciple me. I will be generous and faithful in giving to others. I will share Christ through my words and actions. To this end, my mind is set, my heart is humble, my hands are ready, for I am part of a church committed to doing whatever it takes. Father, I thank you for your presence that has been so thick among us today. I thank you for those who have, in obedience, declared your greatness in their life by testimony, through song, by even silent praise today. I thank you for those who have sought you at the altar. I thank you that you are alive and well in our midst. Lord, I pray today that You will not allow a familiar passage that we love to think about these four guys who lowered a friend in to see you, Jesus. But I pray that you'll begin to prepare our hearts for what you want to do over the next number of weeks. I pray that you'll begin to uncover this week in our life any addiction to convenience that may be blocking what it is you want to do through us as individuals and through our community. God, I pray that you'll begin to reveal in us any undue concern about uh, the conventional way of doing things, the the tradition, the norm, the, the regular or proper way. God, make us even more undignified than we already are before you. Help us be committed to do whatever it takes to get somebody close to you. Lord, reveal in our life any area where there 
maybe a desire to control. Lord, infuse and displace that with compassion for others. Displace it with a a common singular purpose that you are the only thing that brings hope to us and the only answer for the people around us. God, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our hearts as individuals and in our heart as a community. And we give you glory and praise for the fruit that is on its way. I thank you, God, that you are great, you are sovereign, you are worthy to be praised. Let my brother and sister walk out of this place ringing through their ears, if my God is for me, who could be against me? And out of our experience with you, drive us to a commitment together to do whatever it takes to get close to you. In your name I pray. Amen.